You probably remember hearing about the major snowstorm that took place in the Buffalo, New York area just about a week or so before Christmas, just this last year. And as a part of that, there were cars and trucks stuck everywhere. In the middle of that snowstorm, a guy by the name of Jay received a phone call from a friend of his who was stuck, his car was stuck in the middle of that, and he needed some help. So Jay headed out in his truck to help him. But in the process of looking for his friend, Jay got stuck twice himself. While he was digging his car out the second time, he saw a young man walking towards him, almost waist-deep in snow, with sneakers, a light jacket, looked like he was freezing to death. Jay invited him to get inside of his truck to stay warm. At one point, um, he realized realized that his truck didn't have a full tank of gas, so Jay went around to some of the houses that were close by where his truck was stranded, and he started knocking on doors, and he offered $500 to anybody who would let him and the other guy sleep on the floor of their house that night. He went to 10 houses and was rejected at all 10 places. Not knowing what else to do, he went back to his truck. About 11 o'clock that night, somebody knocked on the door of his truck. It was an elderly woman who was also stranded, and her car ran out of gas. Jay invited her into his truck, and so that's where the three of them slept that night. When morning came, Jay realized that he was almost out of gas, but he noticed that there was a school close by. So the three of them went to the school, broke in. Jay found some food in the cafeteria, some blankets in the nurse's office, some mats in the gym for them to lie on. Knowing that there were still probably other people stuck and stranded out in their cars, Jay went back outside looking for additional people who may need help. Anybody he found, he brought back to the school so they would be warm and have some food. All in all, Jay rescued about a dozen or more people that night. When the snow finally died down, Jay found the snow plow that the school had and went to each person's car and helped them dig it out, and then he made sure that they all got home safely. Before leaving the cafeteria, Jay cleaned up the kitchen and the other areas that they used, and he penned this note that he left behind. To whomever it may concern, I'm terribly sorry for breaking the school window and for breaking in the kitchen. Got stuck on 8 p.m. on Friday and slept in my truck with two strangers, just trying not to die. There were several elderly people also stuck and out of fuel. I had to do it to save everyone and to get them shelter, food, and a bathroom. Merry Christmas, Jay. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. How would you describe what this guy did? Brave? Courageous? Daring? Heroic? We can probably say all of the above. But I think we can also say that 
his actions in that situation were compassionate towards people who needed some help. Compassionate. That's what we read about in Matthew chapter 9 today. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Compassion. What is compassion? What comes to your mind when you hear that word? What does compassion look like? You know, maybe compassion is one of those words that it may not be easy to describe. It's just that you know it when you see it, right? Well, considering the description that Matthew gives to us here in our gospel reading, I'd like for us to look at what compassion is and what it isn't. And first of all, what compassion isn't. Compassion is not academic. I'm not one to quote a lot of Greek or Hebrew in my sermons, but this will be an exception today. It's probably because I like the way the word sounds, but the word that we translate in English as compassion, in the Greek, the word is splunknizomai. Splunknizomai. Kind of an odd-sounding word, don't you think? Say that ten times. Splunknizomai. It means compassion. Splunknizomai comes from the root word splunkna, which oddly enough means your gut, your stomach, your intestines. The ancient Hebrews believed that the deepest emotion that humans have starts deep in your gut, in your stomach. For example, if you've ever had to speak in front of a group of people and you're not comfortable doing that, where do those feelings start to well up? In your stomach. Not in your fingers, not in your toes, but you feel it in your stomach. In our Western culture, we use a different part of the anatomy when we want to talk about our emotions. When it comes to our emotions, we usually think of the heart, right? And actually, maybe it's not such a bad idea that we associate the heart with our emotions because, after all, consider the fact that just a month from now will be Valentine's Day. It's probably not all that romantic to use the image of a stomach or one's intestines to communicate love. It probably doesn't sound very romantic to say, I love you from the bottom of my gut. Don't write that in your Valentine card. And yet, our deepest emotion, our compassion, our empathy, our care, our kindness, actually felt in our stomach. Splunknizomai. And that's what Jesus felt when he saw that crowd that is described to us in Matthew chapter 9. But notice that when he did, Jesus didn't say to the disciples, hey guys, let's go over here away from the crowd a little bit 
And I want to unpack the root meaning of the word compassion for you so we can better understand what that means. He didn't do that, did he? Why? Because compassion is not academic. It's not simply a concept that you learn. And also, compassion is not analytical. Upon seeing the the crowd of people there, seeing their condition, seeing all the needs that the people had, Jesus didn't say to the disciples, now let's let's not rush into anything. Let's just think about what our options might be of of what we could do here. He didn't say that. He didn't divide the 12 disciples into three groups of four and and say, you know what, I'm going to give you 30 minutes. And in your small group, try to determine what it is that compassion might look like. At the end of those 30 minutes, we're going to come back together in a larger group. You're all going to present each option. Then we're going to vote on who came up with the best idea. He didn't do that. That's not how Jesus expressed compassion. You've probably heard the phrase before, the paralysis of analysis. Sometimes we analyze things to death, but yet never get anything done. That's not compassion. Compassion isn't analytical. Compassion isn't academic. It's not analytical, but I think we can say that compassion is action. For instance, think about the feeding of the 5,000. You remember that story? That it was getting towards the end of the day, and the disciples wanted to send all of the people away because there would not be enough to feed them where they were at. But instead, Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he took action and fed them all. Or remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. When the priest and the Levite passed passed by the injured man, they kept going. But when the Samaritan man came by, he immediately took action. He bandaged the man's wounds. He took him to a place where he could get additional care. He promised the innkeeper that he would come back and pay for whatever the expenses were that were uh, incurred to take care of the man. In both of those situations, compassion was put into action. In a similar way, upon seeing the need of the people in our reading today, Jesus took action. In fact, we might say that the action he took was threefold. First, he suggested that they pray. Now, we have no idea how many people there were in that crowd that they saw, that Jesus saw, but we have every reason to believe that it must have been a mass of people there. And yet, there was only 13 of them, Jesus and the 12 disciples. There was clearly a need for additional help, so they started to pray. But the second thing Jesus does is he equips the disciples. Matthew tells us that Jesus called the twelve together and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. In other words, he equipped them, he empowered them, he charged them with taking some action. But the third thing Jesus did was then he released them. He released them or sent them out to do what needed to be done. 
As you go, Jesus said, as you go, preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. You see, all of this is what Jesus had been training the disciples to do. And so he released them to do what he prepared them to do. As you go, Jesus said. Compassion is taking action. But in taking action, I think there's one more thing that is critical for us to keep in mind, and that is the kind of approach that we use when we take action. In a recent study by the Barna Institute, which is an organization that does extensive research on the Christian community and today's culture, one of the things that surfaced from some of their research was that two in five non-Christians say that they would be open to participating in a conversation with a Christian about Christianity if the experience felt friendly. Well, that says that perhaps 40% of the time when people have conversations with Christians, it turns out to be not so friendly, maybe critical or disparaging or judgmental. If that's the case, doesn't seem like a very compassionate approach to me. When Jesus looked out on those people and saw them to appear to be harassed and helpless, we don't know what all that may have meant. We don't know what all Jesus may have seen. Maybe it meant that there was all kinds of ailments and abuse that people were dealing with. Maybe it was betrayal and brokenness. Maybe it was disease or disability. Maybe there was all kinds of illness and infirmity. Maybe there was hurt and heartache and sickness and sorrow and trouble and torment and worry and weeping of all kinds. He just simply said they were harassed and helpless. So just imagine a group of people, whatever may have been going on, what regrets they had, what secrets they may have been hiding, what temptations they were fighting, what guilt they were battling, what problems they're trying to run away from, whatever it is. You and I know what that's like, don't we? We too face some of the same. And when we do, what kind of approach do we want people to take with us? I mentioned earlier at their opening that this weekend we want to recognize life. We want to affirm the value of life from conception to natural death. I say we're doing that this weekend. We want to do that always. And it seems to me the approach that we take is what's really critical. And that was really drilled into my mind in a former congregation that I pastored where two women about at their late 50s, early 60s at that time, came up to me and said to me one day that many years ago, before that, they had both had abortions. 
Now, all those years later, they deeply regretted the decision that they made. But they shared with me that they have now devoted years to helping other women heal from similar decisions that they've made. The stories that they shared and what I saw them demonstrate was a deep desire for somebody else who'd experienced the pain that they had to receive healing and recovery. And what I saw them do as they met with woman after woman after woman who had experienced this was no less short of a compassionate approach. And isn't that what Jesus demonstrated when he saw the crowds? Harassed and helpless as they were. He had compassion on them. And whatever the situation is that somebody may be dealing with, that's the approach we're to take. That's why it's not surprising to me that up to the very end, this is the kind of approach our Lord demonstrated. Do you realize that in the seven last words that Jesus spoke from the cross, at least three of those words were words of compassion spoken out of deep agony that Jesus felt as he was dying. From the cross, Jesus turned to his accusers, those who had arrested him, who mocked him, who beat him, who spit upon him, who were some of the very ones who nailed his hands and feet to the cross. He looked at them and then said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's a compassionate approach. Jesus looked at the thief on the cross and, and heard his repentance and his regret for, for what he had done and said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's a compassionate approach. Aware of the grief and the agony that his own mother Mary must have been feeling as she stood there at the foot of the cross watching her son die an agonizing death, standing next to one of the other disciples, John, Jesus commended his mother into John's care. That was a compassionate approach. Splunk nidzomai, from the depths of his gut, from the pit of his stomach, from the very core of his being, the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's compassionate approach on you. Having received that, then how might you and I show compassionate approaches to others around us in our life as they are harassed and helpless as well? In Jesus' name, amen. Having heard God's word, let us confess our Christian faith by speaking together the words of the Apostles' Creed. Please stand.